0: listening to irish illustrated insider it is friday april 15th i'm tim priester with tim o'malley from irish illustrated joined by pete sampson of the athletic in the last week we've had interviews with mike mickens and his cornerbacks and jared parker and his tight ends at orgeron was in town surprisingly we had an opportunity to speak with him for three minutes and uh, we we'll get into a little bit of recruiting, Dante Moore visiting LSU. But I I first want to start with um Jared Parker and his his Tim, his talking about uh, talking about Michael Mayer and what a tremendous route runner he is. I, I was on the topic of who can play W receiver and Michael Mayer can do that too. He said he's the guy that creates better separation than any pass catcher on the roster
1: yeah it was informative to talk to Parker. I thought he was great about mayor like you know look I'm not gonna lie to you guys he's he's awesome everybody has stuff to work on but he separates naturally rather than anybody ever and he said it a couple times um but the best part is when you have to talk to mayor about it he said he's getting a lot out of Parker because they're talking about how mayor's kind of fault last year and mayor kind of attributed it to just being anxious to get the ball was he would be not take his routes deep enough, so he was breaking right. off routes, option routes, you know, not routes you're supposed to run at exact depth, but option routes about two yards early, and then the defensive back would break when he breaks, and so he instead of getting ten yards, he was getting five or six on some of those option routes. So it's the fine tuning things, and Parker was great to talk to. I circled back to him and asked him, I'm sure you knew of Michael Mayer before getting here, but let's face it, you're not watching Michael Mayer tape when you're a West Virginia offensive coordinator because you don't play him, but what was your impression? Did it meet your expectations? And he goes, you know, I got to admit, you come in and you think, all right, he can't be that great. Let's let's meet the guy. And he said he exceeded all expectations, and it was like eye contact, handshake, attitude, wanting to learn. He said nothing about his ability to play the game. He's like he's just a pro's pro off the field. And I was like, well, that's great to hear because he's their best player, and they need him to be one of the best players in the country.
0: Pete, your perspective on uh, Parker and the tight ends and the conversations that we had on Thursday. I- I
2: thought it was hilarious. I think Tim, you asked Parker about the first mayor question. He's like, Well, you got to be careful about praise. Like that can be a dangerous thing. And then he spent the next half hour praising Michael yeah, Mayer. So did. that I think <laughs> sort of tell tells you how good he is. Um, I mean, I, I Parker's super normal guy. I mean, Narnium's on a pretty good run of good interview tight ends coaches, and Jared Parker extends that a little bit. Um oh, yeah. I, I think, think, think Mayor the Mayor's confidence is uh incredible uh because it, it just if you just read the quotes you'd be like man this guy is really cocky um and Which he is, he is <laughs> but this comes off naturally it's like not boastful it's more matter of fact um yeah. I go back to last year when I watched the Georgia tech game from like the fourth row as for like a sort of watching Brian Kelly, watch the game. And one of my favorite anecdotes was it was watching Michael Mayer take his gloves off and throw them into the crowd midway through the third quarter. Um, I don't think a unconfident player would do such a thing. Um, And I, he's definitely gotten a lot better with media. I mean, he was, pretty short and I like, hated it and was a little, somewhat awkward at early. And he's just sort of grown into it. Um, you know, the, the point about route depth and putting how explaining how he likes to do sort of a secondary move on top of his primary move and Tyler Buckner and Drew Pine. I mean, they know this is what I like to do. So this is how they need to get me the ball. Like he was actually moving his name placard around and talk to explain how you like could get undercut by a DB. It just, I don't know. I mean, he's just sort of a guy that is more, com- he's as confident as he's ever been, but he's more comfortable in his own skin with us.
0: The, the route depth conversation is, is, uh, interesting and important because I mean, think about it. You can picture it in your mind. He catches the ball underneath on the, the, the uh, the shallow crossing route and he's got a DB right, you know, into his lower body. And that's how, that's how you diffuse him. So if he pushes that route a little bit deeper, deeper creates a little bit more separation, which obviously he's great at, he can be even that more effective. I, Tim, you interviewed him. So I spent all my time with, with Kevin Ballman. I'm really impressed with him. I really want to see him stay healthy because I think he can begin to take the steps to be the successor to to Michael Mayer. He's never going to be as he's unlikely to be as good as Michael Mayer, but I think Kevin Ballman can be a very productive tight end for Notre Dame, if not this year. I mean, I talked to him about the fact, you know, if you want to get on field this year, it's going to have to be as a blocker, so you yeah. you have to tend to that first, and, and he recognizes that, but I thought, you know, I thought he was an interesting uh, interview as well. Uh, earlier in the week, we talked to Mike Mickens Tuesday. Mike Mickens and uh and his corners I talked to Tariq Bracey who I don't think is ever going to fully embrace the interview process he's not totally comfortable doing it but the little we've seen of him has been very impressive Mickens was not afraid to he said many of the same thing many of the same observations that we made during that first full practice um let, let's turn our attention to Mickens in the corners Tim
1: I talked to Hart and uh I did not realize that we uh he's had these two shoulder issues or had two shoulder issues entering college. He got one cleaned up uh, right after moving from receiver to corner in 19 early October. And then this one, uh, he made a good point. He's like, well, I figured if there's a spring to do it, it's gotta be this spring because I'm a senior unless I come back for a fifth year. So at least, you know, he has that kind of thing in his mind, but also is probably thinking if I build on last year, I don't have to come back for a fifth year. So (laughs) I've always thought. I mean, everybody, a lot of people have listened to Cam Hart speak because of the podcast. Um, but the best news about Cam Hart is that he's on the field because even though he's not taking contact, that means he will clearly right. be able to take contact. He, he,
0: in yeah, he was moving around pretty well the other day when we were at practice. Of course, he's not going to take any contact, but he looks like he's trending in the right direction. As does Jason Adam Alola coming off his shoulder, uh, and who else was I thinking about? A- oh, Avery, Avery, exactly. Avery Davis is Avery Davis is moving really well. Uh, also, Pete uh, Mickens in the in the corners. I spent some
2: time with Clarence Lewis. Um, you know, it's pretty refreshing to hear a player kind of own a performance like the Fiesta Bowl. Um, so he was – I was also was the first person to ask about it. If you were the third person to ask about it, he may have not been as uh, – enjoyed the, the line of questioning. But, I mean, he admitted he got in a mental funk in the game and couldn't get out of it. Um, you know, he goes back and watches it, and he's like, that's not how I play. Um, so – you know, and Mickens had a, I think O'Malley was there. Oh, Mickens had a good response about when I asked him about that, like, has that happened to you? He's like, yeah, freshman year at Penn State, I, we just, we got destroyed. I bombs over your head. Uh, remember Justin King. Um, so, I mean, he had some experience with that as well. I talking to people around Notre Dame, there's people are, the coaching staff feels good about the corner position. Um Clarence Lewis starting at the boundary corner is is something the staff likes. Um so I you know I think the fan base at least what I see on social media and message boards and comments in my stories like I think they're really off base on Clarence Lewis right now. Um the staff likes him quite a bit and feels good about him starting and I think overall the staff the corner and safety positions are two spots that during strength practice Made moves in a good way in the eyes of the coaching staff.
0: Well, that's good to hear because I think that's been our observation, and you certainly can understand why a Notre Dame fan base yeah. wouldn't have a lot of confidence in Clarence Lewis right now, based upon the last
2: last game uh, you perfect. saw, right?
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And go ahead, Tim.
1: I like Clarence Lewis, um, and I, the, those three guys have thirty three hundred snaps in college. Okay, so if anyone listens to this podcast or listens to something else and wonders, is Jaden Mickey going to beat one of those guys out? He is absolutely not going to beat one of those guys out. I'm telling you that right now, but it's great news that Jaden Mickey's coming on as another player for during the season or the future. It's good news that Ryan Barnes is coming on. But as Pete said, those three corners are trusted at boundary field and nickel. Chris O'Leary and Mike Mick. Chris O'Leary called a Bracey potentially the best nickel in the country. So these are the three guys you're going to roll in the Columbus. And then, then we have to see what three guys how they feel when they roll out of Columbus, right? That's the that's the only way Notre Dame fans and media can watch Clarence Lewis and Tariq Bracey and feel confident is after Ohio State because we know they're good enough to beat Stanford. But <laughs> yeah, but, but it's Ohio you got be no, yeah, no,
0: and 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 it's all fair. And and I, you know, I've said this on a previous podcast that I Clarence Lewis played some pretty good football at times last year, but that is. Comp- that's completely forgotten because of what, what happened, uh, at least publicly it's forgotten, what happened against Oklahoma State. Yeah, it's an experienced group. Lewis has got to be better against great competition. I think Ryan Barnes is more likely than Jaden Mickey at this point, but Jaden Mickey's going to be a, a, yeah. a, a good yeah. football player. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Uh, Dante Moore is visiting LSU this weekend. That's great not time. good, is it?
1: Wonderful, Wonderful social media timing, too, of that visit. Yeah.
0: Uh, just your thoughts. I'm not going to say again where I think Dante Moore is going to end up because I've said it several podcasts in a row, but I'm going to throw that uh, over to you guys and just your thoughts on Dante Moore visiting the Bryans down in Baton Rouge. I
2: don't know how much time he's going to spend with Brian. Paul, I was going um, to interject. He's visiting. i be like, <laughs> who, who are you? What? Uh, okay. I'm not covering kickoffs. Um, I, I, it's not great. It's, I, but I don't think it's cause for alarm. Um, if Dante Moore is uncommitted to Notre Dame by mid June, by all means, freak out. Um, on April 15th, I don't think it makes too much of a difference. The kid has intimated he's going to take his official visits. Now he's taking his official visits. Um, but, Notre Dame continues to believe that they will get him in the end uh, and they're pretty confident about it. So I'll, I will roll with that for now, but if it's June 15th, two months from now, and he's uncommitted, then I think Notre Dame may have to sort of reevaluate their situation.
1: I'm with you. I have no reason to doubt Notre Dame publicly, Tom Loy and Kevin Sinclair's information over me reading a social media post, seeing Dante Moore going to visit LSU because he should visit five of the top six schools in the country because he's one of the best quarterbacks in the country. So it makes total sense. Guys in his position should take all their visits because nowadays, and this is going to sound too blunt, nowadays when you transfer out, you want to know where to go. Dante Moore, I think, is going to be a heck of a quarterback, but you take the top ten quarterbacks right now coming into college, six of them are going to transfer.
2: I think it's NIL plays a factor in this too because like, everyone's got a different – sort of scheme or presentation for that. Um, I would, I would contend like if NIL was not in existence, Dante Moore probably would already be publicly committed to Notre Dame.
0: I agree with that's that. And I, and I think that that's the greatest uh, concern is that yeah. the, the promises that are going to be made along the way in these various stops and NIL is at the, at the forefront, at the center of, of that. So that's a concern, but I, you know, Notre Dame is very confident. Uh, that they can believe what, what Dante Moore and his family are, are yeah. telling them. So and they've been burned
1: uh, recently. So they know. What, yeah, me I mean,
0: day what, day. Cho- what, what choice is, what are you going to do? Say Dante Moore, you, you we're going to put a deadline on when you have to publicly commit. And I say that publicly commit to us. Uh, you know, you can't do that. You can't do that uh, anymore in this day and age of, of recruiting and promises and NIL. So it's not an ideal situation, but, We'll see if Notre Dame can weather that storm. I want to end this segment. I want to end this segment <laughs> yeah, if, you want
1: to end this <laughs> yeah. I
0: wish that we I, I wish the image of your eye roll there could somehow make it into the podcast. I want to end this segment talking about Notre Dame's nutrition for the last time. My thought on it is, and I base this upon um a, a bit of knowledge on the topic that Notre Dame football has more than enough nutrition available to the players for them to compete with the best in the country. Is their facility comparable to LSUs and some of the others? No, we've talked about the logistical issues in the Goog, but I'm talking about nutrition available to football players. And I don't think that that's an issue, but Pete, everybody wants to, um, a lot of our subscribers want a clarification as to what you're your thought process is on that from Monday's podcast. Uh,
2: I think that Notre Dame needs to have more brick- and- mortar investment in nutrition. Um, I think the food and nutrition that's served now is way more than adequate. Um, I think brick- and mortar stuff is not just functionality, which would help a little bit. Um, it's also recruiting, which can help a lot. But the, I think Brian Kelly referenced like a sack lunch, I think in one of his interviews, like that's freaking ridiculous. Um, if you got a sack lunch with a tomahawk steak and a lobster tail in it, then sure. I guess it's a sack lunch, but the players are very well fed here. Um, they could, but they need more space around the goop to sort of make that more efficient than it is. Uh, but it's not a it's not an issue of the quality <laughs> of the food or the quantity of the food. It's just like this last project with the Goog is to like complete the Goog. It's sort of like the last step of it. That's that's where Notre Dame can go and should go, and I think ultimately will go in relatively short order.
0: I, I, I appreciate that, and I, I think we've clarified that now, and that's what your stance is, and I've expressed mine. Tim?
1: I don't think all the Tomahawk steaks and protein bars in the world are going to help Kelly's new team on November 5th.
0: <laughs> I to, uh,
1: But in fairness, nor would they help his old team if they happen to be playing this no. November 5th, so that's fine, too.
0: We'll be moving to segment two, but I just want to say this as we end segment one. Uh, in two days, April 17th will be the one-year marking of the the passing of of the great Lou Samoji, who uh all of us have have worked with at, at one time or another i worked with him for more than two decades and uh i just want to acknowledge that and recognize once again that the world is a much worse place without him on it segment two coming up burning up the boards thank you for listening to the irish illustrated insider podcast if you enjoy our coverage of notre dame football please consider supporting the podcast with a small
1: donation go to irishillustrated.com slash support. Your
0: support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame Athletics. Segment two, burning up the boards. We start with a question from CB Wonder 81. Who is the backup to Isaiah Foskey? Who can reasonably be expected to give Notre Dame similar production when Foskey needs a break or has to be out a few games? Well,
1: Justin Adamiola is the backup. Um, and he's the most productive backup Notre Dame has. He does things Fosky doesn't, but he won't make the same plays Foskey makes. I like Justin Anemiola on the strong side, but as I think you guys have pointed out a lot during this podcast season, they like their strong side guys with Riley Mills moved over there now, so I think they'll use Adamiola as they did last year, playing a lot of spots in different packages, but he is clearly the number two behind Fosky. And I bet he's number one in some diamond nickel packages where you take some of the bigger guys like Mills off the field.
2: I think this would be, make an interesting story for you, O'Malley. You do like sort of the indispensable list. If you sort of did ranking the number twos, yeah. Um, yeah. like who, who are Notre Dame's best second team players? I mean, you'd probably put Justin Adam Malola two at worst. I mean, you if you went Tyree Diggs or Diggs Tyree, oh, yeah, yeah. um, oh, that
1: makes a difference. But.
2: but I mean, he would be way up there. Um, you know, it's who's backing up Riley Mills is probably a more sensitive point where, like Notre Dame's got to figure some things out.
1: Yeah, it's probably is Justin Adamiel the backup for Riley Mills too. Is yeah. also, and they hope not. That would be an interesting. No, no, no. Yeah.
0: I mean, I got to believe that ultimately Justin Amalola plays some some big end as well. But, again, we're looking at it in this day and age. Uh, you just don't run one guy out there at rush end. It's it's too taxing over the course of a season. So Justin Amalola is a good good college football player, man. Uh, you know, you I feel good every time I see number nine on the field, defensively. Yeah. Right? He had,
1: he had more snaps. This <laughs> is a little misleading, but. He had more snaps than DJ Brown, Kurt Heinish, Kyle Hamilton, but that might be for a reason. Um, almost as many as Drew White, more than, way more than Riley Mills, more than Howard Cross, more than Bo Bauer last year. People are trying to figure out. And almost as many as Bracy, who played two positions, three positions. So that's that's a lot of snaps. That That's not really back up, you know.
0: Yeah, and, and you know, behind Mills is, I mean, it's Osafa Mensa, I, I would imagine, and Ahrensberger. Is Ahrensberger physically ready to to you know to extend his his snaps we'll see um this is very, I
1: seeing as much practice hurts a little we don't i can barely remember watching one of those two players
0: this that's week. the problem not having practice access which by the way uh that is not an accident of course and i would i would uh i warn i don't know if that's the right word but come august I don't think we're going to see a lot more than either, and I think a lot of that is that Notre Dame and Marcus Freeman doesn't want doesn't want Ohio State to know, or or they want Ohio State to know as little as possible about Marcus Freeman's first team. So I think that'll loosen up as time goes on, but I think between now and Ohio State, we're not going to get a whole lot of access to to, to practice. Just as an aside. A uh, question from Wash N.D. As good as Foskey, Jason Adamalola, and Brandon Joseph are, could Maris Leafau actually be the key component to a potentially outstanding defense? His athleticism, length, and versatility are potentially massive upgrades over the will position from 2021.
2: Uh, yeah, yes. I mean, I, and I wouldn't even say, like, as good as, like, Maris Leafau is in that group. Um yeah, I think Notre Dame's defense has a chance to be Notre Dame's defense is gonna be really, really good this fall. Really good. Uh and I'm not sure I would have felt that way until asking around about the secondary. Um, but the fact that Notre Dame staff feels as good about their secondary as they do, not and I I don't mean this in a you say flower things in a press conference. I mean like Nuts and bolts. Tell me what's really going on. What, like, are they, what do they say behind closed yeah. doors? Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. That that stuff is like they feel. I mean, Brandon Joseph has been one of the stars of spring practice. Uh, Clarence uh, Lewis has Mayor impressed the staff. Michael Mayer said Brandon. Yeah. Joseph
1: I, great spring.
2: Yeah, Jaden Mickey has blown people away. Not just the first impression stuff. I'm talking after 13 practices. Um, they feel great about him, so it's if you. Put, I don't think it's going to be a defense with um, you know a lot of weak points in it, and I think Maris Leafau can be a real difference maker at the will linebacker. I mean, he should. The defense is structured like it was last year. He'll lead the team in tackles, um, and he's going to make a ton of plays.
0: Yeah, and you know, J.D. Bertrand. I, I don't know exactly how the time will be split between him and Bo Bauer, but that's a great situation. You have your leading tackler whether he actually starts ahead of Bo Bauer. We're not seeing Bertrand this, this spring uh, because of the left wrist injury. But, I, you know, I agree. I think this has, has the makings of a really good defense. And we have not had many, many opportunities to watch this this team this spring, but it was clear in that first full practice that when you look at this secondary um there's there's to me no doubt that Tariq Bracey looks like a very good football player we know what Cam Hart can do um Clarence Lewis has to be consistent and can't give in to some of the the emotions of the moment that he did against Oklahoma State and then you look at the safeties you know I love what's going on back there with Brandon Joseph Ramon Henderson DJ Brown has experience Houston Griffith has experience and Xavier Watts looks like he's a guy that's that's going to play. And then in the long term, is going to be very good. So I love the light starting linebacking core, um, that big end, that big end position is very important. Riley Mills has to be good. The addition of Chris Smith on the interior of the defensive line, I think is significant. I don't know how you rank, you know, I mean, Foskey's a very important player, a very good player, Jason, Adam, Brandon, Joseph, Maris Leofile. Those are all really good college football defensive players. So. That's trending in the right direction. Now it's a matter of can the corners prove that they can play big-time football when they play the Ohio States and the Clemsons and what will be USC moving forward.
1: I have one, Leo uh, comment to add, and that is, remember the March 5th, famous March 5th practice for Kevin Austin? It was August mm-hmm. 17th that we saw Maris Leo bouncing all over that third-down package and looked at each other and like, good lord no one's going to get a first down on third down against this defense and then he never got to play so i think he will be a pretty big difference maker on their on their unit this year
0: yeah and you know the the depth along the defensive front you know you know there's going to be uh, times along the way where they're going to need to tap into that depth and so does you know does jason Anye um uh grow in the process. Do you get something out of Gabe Rubio? How good is Chris Smith? You know, you've got to uh, tap into that, that depth. And I, and even that is looking pretty good too.
1: Statman 72 on the last podcast, when the idea of Freeman beating all the teams that our name is supposed to beat came up, it was noted that it took several years for Kelly to reach that point. That clearly is true, but Kelly did not have the benefit of inheriting a program that won at least 10 games, five straight seasons. With such a strong foundation, why shouldn't fans expect Freeman to win all the games Notre Dame is supposed to win?
0: I, when Notre Dame was up 28-7 to 7 on Oklahoma State, I would have said, okay, this is a game that Notre Dame is supposed to win, and they didn't. And they didn't They didn't adjust particularly well, and that's understandable. I mean, Mark, there's so many moving parts for the first time that they were go, going through it, but we don't know how Marcus Freeman is going to be as a decision maker on game day. Everything else looks fantastic. And I would imagine that over time, he's going to be very good in that that respect as well. But I just, you know, Brian Kelly did a great job of beating the teams that he should have beaten. And I don't say that lightly. Uh, that That's how you put yourself in a position to play for the national title or to play for, uh, to make it into the playoffs. So I just don't think that that's a given. I understand where Statman 72 is coming from. He did. I've said it many times that he should have thanked Brian Kelly because he inherited a tremendous, a very, very, very good, solid program with talent and depth. Uh, But it's just not a given until you see him in all those situations week to week.
2: I mean, if you just change the lessons to almost all the games he's supposed to win, then, yeah, I think that's a fair expectation. But, like, I mean, think about, like, some of the games Notre Dame was supposed to win and how close they came to losing them, both the Virginia Tech games, that that weird Louisville game in the wind here, uh, Vanderbilt, Ball State, Toledo. I mean,
0: there are a lot of near misses.
2: Man. A, man, it's it's incredible. And it's like when you ask people, like, why does Brian Kelly win? You get like, a, I don't know, like this is the luckiest man alive. Um they almost lost a ton of those games and, you know, eventually, eventually you're going to lose one. Um, the fact that Brian yeah. Kelly got out of here before it happened is pretty remarkable. Cause I mean, look, he, he lost many games. He should have won Northwestern. There's a different Louisville game that they lost. Uh, they got blown out by Navy Tulsa, et cetera. Like it's not like he won all of them. Um, eventually like, that pendulum swings back. It's just, as, as Priester likes to say, it's athletic competition. Um, Not, you don't get all the breaks all the time.
1: Thanks 21. We know we need a couple transfer receivers. Is there a certain body type or athlete they'll be looking for, or is anyone fair game at this point?
0: You know, it's bigger receivers. I, when, when you look at, when you look at Davis and, and styles and, and Lindsay with the, the progress that Lindsay is making this spring, that's a, that's a really nice trio, but you need size. Um, and that's why I'm going to tie, actually, I'm going to tie this in right now, Tim, to another question from MM before I enjoy the Michael Mayer article. How do you maximize the all American potential in the fall defenses? will try to take him away and talking to Jared Parker the other day. And I was kind of pushing the narrative about a, a W receiver, because I think, I think a healthy Eli Raritan is a, is a potential candidate W and then, he, and then Jared Parker talked about Michael Mayer and the separation that he gets. And, you know, maybe you pop him out at the, the, you pop him out wide sometimes and, and play him, but the body type that Notre Dame needs is the body type of Dion Colsey and Tobias Merrowweather. If they can develop, then you have that body type, but Colsey's had, had a concussion issue early and and it remains to be seen. How much he can produce, and we don't know about Tob- Tobias Merriweather. So I, it's length. If you're going to get a, if you're going to get a, a receiver in the, in the portal, it's going to be a W with length.
1: I did ask Michael. I Bear, think. But, uh, I'll go ahead, Pete.
2: Oh yeah, it's just like I'm, I'm. not sure I agree with like the like length would be great. Um, but if you can find a receiver in the portal who's established at a power five level, and he's five ten. Or 6'1, I would take him in a heartbeat. Especially I mean, maybe not 5'10, but 6'1, six, 6'2. Six, that that kind of player no, would be an upgrade for Notre Dame. And I think that's that's probably as much as anything as what Notre Dame is looking for at receivers who is produced at the power five level, maybe not at like Ohio State, Alabama levels, but you know, Ben Skrona came from Northwestern, Nick McLeod came from NC State. That type of Power Five player, who's established, um, who you know can be reliable, who doesn't have a ridiculous history of injuries, um, that's the kind of player Notre Dame is really targeting.
1: Tim, I did follow up with Mayer and ask about the W position because we were we were talking about Tyler Eifert, um, and I mentioned you know Tyler Eifert played a lot of W, so we got to talk about it. His senior year, he led the team by playing W really in receptions. Like, oh, yeah, W slot. I go out to be the number one receiver out to the field. Everything. I'll be playing everywhere. So there's some more confidence. And also, your <laughs> say, no, no,
0: no shock. No shock that he, he, would F, say he
1: was X, Y, Z, and wherever else you need him.
0: <laughs> Wildcat quarterback, he's on it. <laughs> uh, question from T Mart, the golfer How did Notre Dame mess up the Carnell Tate recruiting, or were they simply not good enough?
2: I mean, they didn't. You, there, Ohio State is the place to go for receivers right now. Like that's if you follow recruiting or watch any college football, I think that's that's pretty clear. So I don't think there was anything to mess up. Alabama's fine. Um, (laughs) You know,
1: they've gotten some good receivers. And look,
2: if if Carnell Tate ends up at Tennessee. I think that's a pretty clear sign that things above program prestige and academics were higher on his wish list and picking a school. Um, so I don't, I don't think Notre Dame messed up anything at all. It's just that they're recruiting against other elite schools um, with a, with a much more extensive track record of pumping out thousand yard receivers and NFL draft picks at the position.
0: Tim, what do you got?
1: I mean, it's, that, that, that's completely fair. I, I When you lose a wide receiver to Ohio State or Alabama, or you lose a defensive lineman to Georgia or Alabama, or you lose an offensive lineman to Georgia or Alabama, it's different than losing them to other schools. I think the Tennessee point is probably the, the, the main takeaway there that Pete made is you're going to lose some of these key position battles, too. The issue is, of course, that you have lost a couple key wide receiver position battles now in the last – seven months i guess if you count cj williams so that's which you have to which you should count you should definitely count um but that's so that probably stings because of that
0: i thought for maybe a split second that carnell tate would come to nordame because of dante Moore, but i don't think it went beyond a split second i've never thought carnell tate would come to nordame i think everything that you guys said is accurate. I don't think Notre Dame messed anything up. It is, again, it, you know, when I say athletic competition, Pete, it's on the field, but that's also, this is part of yeah. the athletic competition as well. It's a, it's the, off are you, the field are you part. telling
2: me Ohio state has good recruiters? Yeah, like, I mean, is that, is that know, the point you're making?
0: Like when Notre Dame loses a football game, it's, it's partly because of Notre Dame, but it's also because of the team that they played. So it's, it's no different in recruiting. And, and I, you know, I agree with everything. That you said there. Question from Dashing Domer. Chris Tyree has made a few big plays in two seasons, but has not been a consistent threat. What can Notre Dame do to unlock his skills in 2022?
2: He's got to stay healthy. That's the first thing. Um, he's missed pretty much all of spring practice or has been highly limited with a ankle sprain. So it's, you know, i I think he's a better two back set running back then just put him back there by himself then a feature Uh, back on his own yeah and we saw some of that in the fiesta bowl like that's that's what you would like to do if you can um so that the fiesta bowl game plan and staying healthy would be my two answers
1: yeah the staying healthy part's crucial remember last year he ran behind the world's worst line then got hurt so he never had a chance to uh become what Logan Diggs kind of became against worse defenses with a better line. Um, Tyree, I, I agree with Priester, because I know you're going to say this, Tim, that he does not have natural wiggle that a lot of great runners have, but he does have a heck of a second step after he cuts. He, If he hits a crease, Chris Tyree is going to be causing problems for the defense, and he's a versatile back. I think you unlock his potential by using all of his strengths – and barely utilizing Chris Tyree in a situation where you think he might be a weakness because you have other running backs.
0: Yeah, you got to get him in space. I, that's that's where he excels. You get him in space. The 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 touchdown, the fifty five yard touchdown in the Toledo game, and then what they did uh, with him, what Tommy Reese did with him against Oklahoma State. So yeah, not a conventional single back. Feed him the ball twenty times. That's that's not the not the player that he is. But the the answer to the question is. Get the football to him in space like you did against Oklahoma State. Now you have a pretty special, pretty special football player. Then,
1: Denver Maximus, which player, <laughs> which player on offense can Notre Dame least afford to lose to injury? And which player on defense can they least support to lose to injury?
0: Well, this is the indispensable question, right? I mean, you can, I'm high on Ballman. I don't know that that means that you can afford to, to be without Michael Mayer uh, because he's a, he's an incredible talent. I, you know, probably Jared Patterson, although Zeke Corral, I think is done from what we're being told. We certainly haven't seen it uh, other than one day uh, that Zeke Correll's doing a good job at center, but I, you know, I, I think this, I think this offensive line's pretty damn good. If you, if you get a healthy Jared Patterson back at center.
2: Mayor, uh, i I feel like we're kind of overthinking it if it's not mayor. I mean, there are other conversations we had, but mayor is so good. Like he it's, he's so far out from everybody else on the offense, not just relative to his backup, but he's just like the best player by such a yeah. wide margin. It's of that's course. gotta be the guy.
1: I totally agree on mayor, but maybe not for that reason. Like, All right, so last year we're doing this conversation. Who can Notre Dame not afford to lose because he's by far the best player in an All-American, and he's so much better than his crappy backup safety that Notre Dame will never win another game? Well, they won all the games when Kyle Hamilton went down. Michael Mayer, I think, they don't have the receivers to make up for Michael Mayer. It's not like it's Kevin Bauman. It's If you lose Michael Mayer, your running game gets worse because you don't have good receivers. Right. And you know you your your tight ends worse, obviously that goes without saying. But like you lose Michael Mayer, Braden Lindsey's a much worse player. Lorenzo Styles is no longer the second best player on your team; he's the first best. And I don't think Lorenzo Styles is ready to be Michael Mayer, right? That's I just think the trickle down effect of Mayer is greater than even we would have guessed. Kyle Hamilton being last year, yeah. when Kyle Hamilton went down, we just thought, "Whoa, boy, this is going to be a problem back there." But I don't know what you do. I think Mayer affects so much on the offense.
0: You certainly don't. Yeah, you know, okay. One player. I mean, I, I want to talk about multiple players. You certainly okay. don't want to. You don't want to go to war without Alton Fisher at, at your your tackle spots because those right. guys are those guys are truly legitimately first round draft choice candidates down the road. Now defensively, uh, you know, I I'll let you guys go first on that because like these the name one player conversations are really right. There's, um, there's more to it than that.
1: So You think it's not Foskey because of Justin Adamiola? You could argue that. I could go back and just argue Leofau. Because what do you pop J.D. Bertrand back to go 1-2 with Kali? That's not the same thing as having Maris Leofau. I'll go Maris Leofau. Would be the worst to lose. Um, and then, of course, I'll leave one more for the middle.
2: Uh, I Okay, this answer is going to take some explaining, but it's Jack Kaiser to me. Um, Al Golan's defense, what it asks for that position, is a lot. Um, a lot mentally, checks, adjustments, so much to read. And Jack Kaiser is intellectually so good at that spot. Also a good athlete um, that he's a guy that would be very difficult to replace as, as a guy who can play in space, give you a little bit of everything. Um, Jack, I don't know if Jack Kaiser would be number one, but I, I think he'd deserves a strong mention in this conversation
0: no i think it's a good argument and then i would throw out cam hart just because of his length and what his potential is i don't think that he is he certainly hasn't reached his full potential but he's he's been trending in that direction that's why i don't like to limit it to one because i mean you can make an argument i think jack i think it's a great point about jack kaiser because he is you know he his ability to recognize what they're doing and what his defensive coordinator wants him to do is really pretty special and all you have to do is start asking around amongst the team who you respect the most and I you know I never did completely follow through with that that story after you guys had to hear me ask how many different players about who you respect the most but what would you I mean I I would say the percentage of people that chose that one individual player Jack Kaiser uh was probably around 30 to 35 percent of the guys that I asked which is which is a pretty you know yeah I mean who do you respect that that could be on multiple levels and I would say one-third of the people that I asked said Jack Kaiser so that that plays to your point Pete
1: Pete's point I'm coming around on this one too because uh Jack Kaiser's backup. Uh, Not only is nowhere near Jacob Lacey's backup or Isaiah Foskey's backup or anybody else's, Jack Kaiser's backup does not exist on Notre Dame's football team. They do not have a backup rover for Jack Kaiser. They have guys that will come in, Patello can come in and blitz when he plays rover. And Tariq Bracey is the nickel that comes in to take Kaiser off for rover. There is not a backup rover on Notre Dame's football team unless you move Maris Leof out a rover. And I don't think his body type is that
2: anymore.
0: Yeah. You don't want to do that. A uh, question from Krim zero four. We have a bunch of long questions. I would I would ask that we kind of try to shorten these a little bit. But question from crim. oh four. Given Drew Pine's leadership skills, along with his experience as a successful reliever against Wisconsin and Cincinnati, does Reese's experience as a player in this starter reliever scenario color his potential use of Butner Pine in a similar role as Reese and Everett Golson in twenty twenty two? I'm not a fan of two QB systems, but it's hard not to find similarities between Notre Dame's quarterback situation in 2022 as compared to 2012.
2: No, and I don't see any comparisons to 2012. Long, long question, short answer.
1: <laughs> I don't. Yeah. The Golson Buckner is the comparison. I don't like um, the pine Reese is a pretty good comparison. Cause I think there's some things pine will end up doing to help Notre Dame win, when Buckner is not completely um injured, if that makes sense, not not saying that it wouldn't be the result of like a little bang- up or something, hey Buckner couldn't 100 percent answer the bell the whole week, so Drew Pine's going to help this week. But the Golson Buckner thing, like they had to there's a reason Brian Kelly said he rode the bus and everybody got mad because Everett Golson was a very valuable player on that field. They had to guide Everett Golson through that season. In every way, mentally and off the field, and what a quarterback leader is supposed to be. So that's why Kelly took that shot at Golson. Buckner does not have any Everett Golson in him, in that way.
0: No, I don't.
1: I like Everett Gol- Everett Golson throws a ball, man. I, I'm an Everett Golson fan, but there's just not Buckner and Golson are just totally. Yeah, different.
0: he could wing it. I know. I in in fairness, zero four. I mean, I understand where he's coming from on this, but yeah, I, I I agree with you that that. The, the skill sets are not comparable there where I, okay. Where I disagree is, and he's asking a question, does Reese's experience as a player in this starter reliever scenario, color his potential uh, use of Butner pine? I would say no to that. I don't, you know, I don't think Tommy Reese particularly liked the that relief role that he was in. So I don't think he's going to say, you know, this worked well for me. And I'm, I don't, I don't think he's going to look at it that way, but You know, and I'm not a fan of the two QB system either, but as I sit here right now with the little amount of experience that Butner and Pine, you know, neither one has. I'm not, you know, I'm sure they're going to try to pick a starter and stick with him, but if that young, inexperienced player is struggling in a game, and I'm really looking at Butner winning the job and that he's the guy that's struggling in a game, to me, Pine is the is the ultimate reliever or the guy that has the potential to be the ultimate reliever. So I'm not against that. You're not just going to keep spinning your wheels. If 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 a young quarterback like Buckner is having a tough day and can't get out of it, I'd go to Pine. I, but again, I, it's April and we're looking at that right now. We'll see how everything evolves. But I'm not against using both just because neither one is very experienced going into the season.
1: uh, I'm going to read this question because it's my favorite one in a long time. C. John, how would you characterize the staff's gamble on putting all their chips on Dante Moore? A. A drunken sailor playing cards in his first port visit in six months. B. My brother-in-law playing Texas Hold'em during Boys' Night Out. C. James Bond playing Baccarat in Casino Royale. Or D. And this one's amazing. I can't even get it to fit in my head how it works. Dustin Hoffman guiding younger brother Tom Cruise in the movie Rain Man. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> I, have I we ever had a,
1: that analogy to to make it work? And then I realized, yeah, just, just,
0: just. I you know I'm not sure that the the really most accurate answer is among those four.
1: <laughs> um, you got to pick one. Let's see. I'm not.
0: One. Yeah, I know, and I'm not creative enough to come up with one right now to to fit my uh scenario. I you know I think it's probably closest to James Bond playing baccarat in Casino Royale because I think they feel like they're going to get Dante Moore come December so uh i guess maybe i i would choose that one certainly not a drunken sailor <laughs> playing cards in the first port visit in 6 months
2: i i'm going none of the above and i'm going mikey in the final scene of rounders against oh, the which i can't believe wasn't on this list I can't, oh, believe and I,
1: seeded, cr- I can't believe I seeded my topic because I wanted to finish this conversation with Mikey and Rounders. This is like this. our, our identical score
0: picks. I love it. I love And I love that scene in movie, too. Yeah, That's right, a great I, I choice. I know
1: there's a left, but I'm leaving because Pete stole that. And I gave my spot. <laughs> said, go ahead, Pete. And then he said, the worst. Oh, I, I do want well, to... That'll, pop-
0: that'll teach you. That'll I teach pop- you.
1: Up. Yeah, you're not picking the first Buck Ohio State score, that's for sure. Yeah. I mean, um, <laughs> I want to follow up with C. John or anyone like-minded like C. John is. that The offseason is coming, and we would like analogy questions at least every other podcast. So, <laughs> Elm City Domer, the baseball team seems fine offensively and has some quality starting pitching along with some elite coaching and competence. Do they have the pitching depth and defense to contend for the World Series? In all
0: right, I'm going to disagree a little bit with the statement. First of all, what I agree with is the elite coaching because – Link Jared is unbelievable in in preparing his team. Um, I don't think that they're fine offensively. I, I've said this and written this. I think they're a good to very good hitting team, but against quality pitching, you know, le- losing Nico Cavadas was a blow. Uh, for example, Jared Miller's batting third. I, I'm not sure that that I'm not sure that this is a college World Series team uh, w- with him batting third. He's a good he's a good college baseball player and a great leader. But I don't think that they – you know, I think quality offense consistently is is their issue. Their pitching depth is better. Their defense is outstanding. The coaching and the defense are outstanding. uh, But they need to be better offensively, and I'm not sure that they have the answers for that right now. And then the pitching depth, which is improved, um, you know, we'll see how improved it is as they get further into the the ACC season. And we'll end with a, a basketball question. From Port ND, any updates on how the basketball roster is progressing? The May date to enter the transfer portal is quickly approaching. Do you see anyone from the roster entering the portal? And Tim, I told you that there is a player that's entering the portal.
1: That's right. And I was unable to guess. So I think everybody listening, try to guess for two seconds, and then Tim Priester will tell you who's entering the portal.
0: It's walk-on Elijah Morgan, who's a pretty, a pretty talented little basketball player, but uh, you know, he wants to test the waters and see if there's somebody out there that will give him a shot where he can get some playing time. Otherwise, he'll be back. But I we're not aware of, you know, the Tony Sanders or Elijah Taylors or Matt Zona's entering the the transfer portal. That hasn't happened yet. Uh I mean, there,
1: There's one to watch, right, it, that that would affect the season. Nate <laughs> if, he, if, if he enters the portal, it affects the season.
0: That is true. But I will say that as of right this moment, I expect, Cormac Ryan, Nate Goodwin, Trey Wirtz, and probably Nate Lasheski to return hub and Atkinson are gone. Uh, again, Kineshny and and Sanders and Elijah Taylor and Zona. I don't expect Jr. to go anywhere. He's just a freshman, but I, we haven't heard of the other three. Blake Wesley is the, the wild card there. I don't think it's a done deal that he's going to the NBA. I, I, I'm told that 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 there has been an academic plan worked out for him from now through the end of the semester, which is rapidly approaching. So, it it is it is Blake Wesley and his family's plan to keep that in play uh, if if the NBA doesn't work out. And then you have the freshman coming in: Starling, Lubin, and, and Campbell as well. So, um, Basili, the the uh, the big man from Wright State, will be visiting Notre Dame or is expected to visit Notre within the next, I don't know, week to week to two weeks. Uh, and we'll see about some other guys, but it, you know, it's just the environment. Now it's, it's pretty open-ended until you get to the deadline, I think.
2: I mean, you guys are kind of in agreement. Like <laughs> if they can get a, a functional big, it doesn't need to be like a banger but just somebody who can go get you some rebounds
0: and to guard the rim, like, yeah, exactly. And rim. Yeah,
2: and if and if Wesley comes back, I mean the the potential for next year's team is is very very high end.
1: Yeah, I think they're both necessary parts for high end potential, but the latter is far higher, <laughs> like yeah. Wesley coming back than uh, the rim protector. But you know,
0: yeah, and the way Lesheski was playing at the end was the best, the most consistent basketball. I think that he's played. I know that he had spurts two seasons ago, but. That was that was the Lashewski that you want to see where he's where he's proactive when it comes to hunting his shot and doing what he needs to do on the backboards. And he's not a he's not a rim protector per se, but he is a pretty good defensive rebounder, except for that last crucial one against <laughs> that Texas was the most Tech.
1: important rebound of the year. Yeah. <laughs> thinking it all counts, right? Uh, it and counts. I do, and I do want to clarify, I don't mean they don't need a rim protector and a big guy. I just mean Blake Wesley comes back and is the best player. You had to pick one. they, they, they need both.
0: Yeah, they do. They need both. And uh, we'll try to keep you updated on that. That's uh, it's a pretty fluid situation right now, but there's a bunch of people. We put out a list of guys that Notre Dame was interested in, and we'll try to follow up on that as, as spring football comes to an end. We'll be back on Monday, uh, April 18th with another podcast as we go into the final week of spring practice. Looking forward to seeing what they do and what we have access to when it comes to the The blue gold game draft on Wednesday, I believe that is of next week. We don't have any more contact, right, with the players or coaches until game day on the 23rd. So we'll be back on Monday for the next uh, edition of Irish Illustrated Insider. We appreciate you joining us again. So long, everybody.